0: So I wanted to share some stuff that's happening that Tyler, Jordan, and I are talking about and then how that fits into what we're going to look at this morning. So as Tyler and I and Jordan meet every uh, on that Wednesday morning to so discuss and pray and ask the Lord to help us with what he wants us to do in leading Christ Church forward, we kind of realize that in some ways we are restarting our church. It's almost like we're having a little bit of a replant or a revitalization um, we've had the benefit, and this is the good part. It's it's a restart, but with seven years of experience under our belts, right? Which is kind of cool. Um, it's seven years of us gathering on Sunday morning, singing together, sermons, the Christ Kids, Lord's Supper, Donut Sundays. Remember those? Yeah, I mean, seven, <laughs> seven years. They'll come back soon. Seven years of those. We've got seven years of community groups. Seven years of laughing together and crying together. I know that many moments in this gym or in this very room. We have wept together. We have laughed together. um, We've enjoyed fellowship together. We've had seven years of conflicts that I pray have all been reconciled. Right? (laughs) Or almost reconciled. Or in the process of being reconciled. We've had seven years of babies being born. 32. In seven years. 32 babies. So... A lot has happened in our past seven years. And I can't not believe that all the craziness of this past year with Zoom meetings and meeting outside wasn't also for the good of our church. I have to believe it was for the good of our church. I know we can look back on this past year with all the trial and all the trouble that it's caused us. But if we really believe that Jesus is on his throne running the universe, which I know we believe he is, then we believe that COVID did not call the shots in 2020. That the government didn't call the shots in 2020. The medical world and the school systems didn't call the shots in 2020. God did. God called all the shots in 2020. That means God orchestrated everything that happened with real goals and real purposes in mind for us, for our country, for us as a church, and for you as an individual. And I can't help but believe that him mixing up and changing all these things over the past year was for his glory and for his good, and we just want to see what that is, right? Don't you want to live in the good of that? Maybe rather than complaining about all the crap that happened in the last year, which would be very easy to do, and that we're still not completely out of, and said to ask God, what is it you want to teach us and show us through all of this? And so now we find ourselves again, sort of as a church family, getting back to some normality, right? To to some, okay, this is kind of how things used to be, a little bit, and we're headed in that direction. And so Tyler Jordan and I were talking about believing that this spring is kind of a chance to kind of re-kickstart things, kind of re-get things going and moving in a certain direction. And so by doing that, I mean, even, even sort of last week played a part in that with Philemon, of course. But even with that, just to remind us this morning of our vision and our mission as a church. Um, we, we talk about it in different ways, but we know that God um, created the church, and, and he wants Christ's church to be a place where we exist to glorify God by building a community of Spirit-filled disciples living on gospel mission. And over the past seven years, we've seen that in Scripture over and over again, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. This is what God is about. He's about his glory being exalted and praised. As he builds together groups of people, he fills them with the Spirit so they can then go live on the mission he's called them to live on. And that mission, you guys know this, has two facets or two branches, and those are go and grow. There are two facets of our mission. We see that all over scripture also, that God wants us to be a people who are growing as we disciple other disciples, and as we go to the lost, discipling people who aren't disciples yet, that we would grow at speaking the truth of Christ to one another, and also go to those who don't know Jesus yet and speak the truth of Christ to them. So that is what we are about, and we have talked much over the past seven years, about the gravitational pull in every church is going to be towards grow and not go. Grow is just easier. Grow is more natural. Grow is more comfortable. There's millions of programs and events and things that you can plug into grow. But when we talk about go, things get a little uncertain, a little unpredictable, not so comfortable with that. So the gravitational pull, I think, of every church And of our church is to think more about grow than we do about go. So this morning I want to, um, you guys have a handout. This morning's goal is to give us a refresher of our go theology. What is it that God has called us to as a church? And, And how does scripture clearly paint a picture of what it means for us to go to people who don't know Christ? So everybody has a handout in front of you. And I'm assuming that for most of you here, this is semi-familiar. It's basically a a walking through of what we have studied over the past seven years that that have created who we are as a church and how we think about our our going to people in Mount Airy, your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, with the gospel and what that looks like. And so on this little sheet, it has um, really just a couple of points that I hope are helpful, that we remind ourselves that God is a missionary God, and we've talked a lot about that, and that the goal, the the overarching plan is that we make disciples. That's what it really means to go, and what God sends us to do when we go. And then number three on this little handout, just this idea of what are the ingredients, or what are the things that God sends us by or through in order to accomplish the goal? And so there's a bunch of things there on the front and back of your sheet of things, ingredients we have to have. We need to have the power of the Spirit. We need to have love for the lost and give them time and friendship. And we need to speak truth to them and serve them and to do it all in community. So the plan for this morning was to go through this point at a time, and I have a message written on this. However, um, last night, as I was trying to watch the UFC fights, Romans 9 just kept nagging at me. Um, It started nagging at me a little bit yesterday afternoon. Wouldn't stop last night. Went to bed, fell asleep, woke up at 3. It kept nagging me. Got up this morning at 5, kept nagging me. So we're going to have, instead of going through this, a more spontaneous discussion about Romans chapter 9. So if you would turn to Romans 9. I want to pray, because I honestly don't know what I'm going to say. And I ask you to be patient with me as I pause at times because I honestly just don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say. And I know you guys are gracious and you'll understand that. So I want to pray because although I always know that I and we need the Spirit's help, I'm a little more aware of it right now. So I want to pray and then we're going to look at Romans, uh, just really just the first three verses of Romans chapter 9. So let me just pray and ask God to help us. Lord Jesus, um, we know that um, I think we know clearly often, God, probably way too often, I know exactly what your word tells me to do. It tells me clearly what to do. It tells me clearly how to behave. And yet so often my heart is far from that. So often my heart is not in step with what I know is true. And so, Lord Jesus, as we look at Romans 9 this morning, I pray that you would help us to take what we know to be true and to get our hearts in line with it. And, Lord Jesus, we know that we cannot change our hearts. Lord, no matter how hard we try, We can't change our hearts, and we can't change anyone else's heart. And so what we're asking you to do right now, Lord Jesus, is to do a supernatural work in us by taking um, Romans 9, which is already living, it's already active, it's already sharper than a two-edged sword, and we ask you to embed it into our hearts and that you would soften our hearts. God, where our hearts are, are hard and stony, that you would make them soft and malleable. God, where where our, our, our believing even is not in line with yours, that you would align our believing. God, would you just do what only you can do in these next few minutes together? Please, Spirit, come. Help me. Guard my tongue and my mind. Help me, Jesus, to only say the things that you want me to say. And, and work in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you guys have ever read Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 is perhaps one of the most difficult passages of Scripture on the planet. Very difficult to understand. Um, very hard to want to believe and to put in perspective. Just look at verses 15 and 16 with me. This is, this is all about the sovereignty of God in election and people being converted and he says in verse fifteen, for he said to Moses, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion." So then, it depends not on on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, "For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth." So then. He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, I I don't know a Christian I've ever met that reads that and goes, all right, I understand, or that's really good. That's hard. This is hard to wrestle with. It is hard to get our brains around what is happening there and our hearts engaged in that. It almost seems cruel at first reading. And so in light of that, Paul sets this whole section up in verse nine, in verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, obviously there's no chapter breaks, but he is beginning, perhaps, or transitioning to a new thought in verse 1. And I think he says in verse 1 and 2 and 3 what he says in order to help us to see not just his heart, but even God's heart in the difficult things he's about to say in the rest of the chapter. So look with me at verse 1. Paul says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I mean, just at one quick reading of those three verses, you can see that Paul's heart is crushed for his unbelieving brothers and sisters. So broken that it almost seems unbelievable to the reader that he wants to convince us that it's true. And so what I want to do this morning is although we could talk about our Go mission, and we need to have a theology of Go mission. It's good to have a theology of Go mission but I don't think it will mean anything if it does not come from the heart. If it doesn't come from our hearts, it's just a theology on a paper that maybe we even believe. Maybe we even start to go out and do it and practice it. But you guys know that God is after our hearts before he's after anything else. We, I hear, heard the, word, the words of Jesus where he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are, heart, are far from me. And I thought, that's just it. God wants our hearts this morning. He wants our hearts. So before we engage in any conversation, if we do in a week or two and review our go mission theology, I think God is after our hearts and he wants our hearts to be in the place that he wants them to be. And so here in Romans 9, 1 and 3, we get a glimpse into Paul's heart for those who do not know and love and treasure Jesus Christ. And so we see three things here really about Paul's heart or Paul's feelings. And the first is just that his feelings are real. They're not fabricated. They're not made up. Paul's feelings are real. Look what he says. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And Paul's being repetitive here and he's piling up phrases to make sure that we see and understand that what he's saying is true. These are his real feelings. He's not making them up. And and he unfolds him in this fourfold fashion. For he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Let Christ come and stand as a witness before you that Christ in me, I'm speaking the truth to you in Christ. So believe it. This is not just me, but Christ in me that is verifying that what I'm saying to you is true. And then he says the negative side, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And then he comes to his own conscience. My my conscience bears witness that this is true and in the Holy Spirit. So there's these four piling up of phrases. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He's saying, I swear to you, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness, and it's in the Holy Spirit. I'm not faking this. And I think Paul is arguing for this authenticity of his broken heart for his unsaved brothers and sisters because he knows how harsh or hard the rest of the chapter is going to sound when he talks about the sovereignty of God. Now I think, and you guys can disagree, you have different experiences. My experience has been in most Reformed churches that believe Romans 9 and the doctrines of it often have a reputation for lacking emotions. I don't know if you've experienced that. If, if you're Reformed, you're embracing, we embrace doctrine and thoughts and feelings are often pushed to the side or on the shelf or not important or non-existent. And I think what Paul wants us here to see is that we need to believe in the sovereignty of God and yet still have a broken heart for people that don't know Christ, to feel deep sorrow for them. So Paul begins this section with, Believe me, believe me, believe me. What I'm saying is true and real. And so this is a, just a good place for me just to pause and say, as I've been praying about this, not even now for 12 hours or whatever it's been, that I can't say that yet. I want these feelings. I want these emotions. I want to feel the way Paul feels. And I want to be able to say to you, it's real. Believe me. But I'm not there yet. And I'm guessing for all of us, it can come and go. We're going to get to those specifically in a moment. But I do want to say this, because as soon as we start talking about emotions like we're going to in a moment and, and, and how Paul is trying to argue for the reality that these are real, it's good to recognize that God has made every one of you very different. Some of your emotions are always on the surface, and they're right up here. For others, emotions are not on the surface. Your heart isn't always stirred as much maybe as your spouse or your friend or your sibling. So I just want to say God is not looking for you to be something you're not. God wants you to have authentic feelings like Paul has authentic feelings. Paul is able to say, this is true about me. And God doesn't want us to try to pretend we're something or not. He wants us to resist the temptation of comparing how we feel to how other people feel. But I also don't want you to think, well, this is not for me because I'm just not a very feely person. Because I don't think that is what Paul wants to take away either. I think what Paul wants us to do at this point after these few sentences is ask ourselves, what is true about me and my feelings for the lost? What is true? What is authentic? What is real? If you were to write, I'm gonna speak the truth in a moment. I'm not gonna lie. My conscience is clear in the Holy Spirit. Here's how I feel about the lost people in my life. What would you write? And I think that's what Paul is going after His feelings are real. He wants you to know they're real. And Paul's feelings are not just real, but his feelings are very intense. His feelings are very intense. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says that, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he's going to tell us why in verse 3 when he gets to the word for. He's going to explain why but he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. Great sorrow, great grief, sadness, mourning. He has unceasing anguish in his heart. He's saying, I have continual grief and sorrow and brokenhearted for those who do not know Christ. I wonder sometimes if our... our Thinking about how someone is converted or even taking the steps that we're supposed to take or we know we want to take can interfere with us not stopping and getting our hearts in line with what Paul is expressing here in his word. Do we think little about our believing or unbelieving neighbors and friends because we know God's in control? He's in control anyway, so we kind of guard our emotions. Like he's in control. He's going to save who he's going to save. He's going to do it his way. And then our emotions don't get engaged. Or perhaps maybe we're just too distracted by life. Filling our hearts and our emotions with the news and Netflix and TikTok and shopping and sports and hobbies and money. So we never take the time to even cultivate a heart like Paul is talking about for those who do not know Christ. So let me just simply ask you, when was the last time you experienced great sorrow and unceasing anguish of heart for your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate who doesn't know Christ? When was the last time your heart broke for the person and the people God has put in your life that don't Love Jesus. For Paul, this anguish of heart was continuous. It was unceasing. It was there all the time. You guys know that I got to do a funeral this past week where I got to share the gospel with a hundred or so people who don't know Jesus. And even as I stood there looking into the eyes of these people As I preached the gospel, just thinking, oh, God, save them. I knew my heart wasn't breaking like it should have been. (laughs) I know that I wasn't really, really sorrowful and in anguish like God's heart was for them. I was just aware of the fact that my emotions, although they were there, that I didn't carry God's heart for the lost the way that God would have wanted me to. See, I have emotions and they're strong. They're just not always strong for the right things. (laughs) I've talked to many, many people, and I have heard myself many, many times express strong emotions for politics and the government and things that are happening in our country. Strong emotions over someone's job and their situation at work. Strong emotions about someone who has wronged you. Strong emotions about a situation someone is facing. But do we feel the same emotional intensity when we think about the people God has brought into our lives that are going to hell? Do we feel that? Do we feel that same level of emotional heartfelt intensity for the people who don't know Christ? Do you feel that? And we can't create that. I can't zap everyone with that. I can't zap myself with that. We've got to ask God to help us to have his heart and even have Paul's heart. And so Paul goes on next to tell us really the root of why he feels such emotion. Why? Why does he feel such depth of emotion? Well, I think that Paul's real and intense feelings are for real and intense reasons. I think his feelings are real and his feelings are intense because they're linked to a real and intense reason. Look at verse 3. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul, he's saying the impossible. He's basically saying instead of them being accursed, I want to be accursed in their place. Instead of them being cut off from Christ, let me be cut off from Christ instead. He realizes that they are accursed. They are cut off from Christ. When Paul looks at someone on the street, wherever he goes, his thinking is, they're accursed. They're cut off from Christ. And his heart breaks for them. When you see people and encounter people, whether it's someone for the first time or someone maybe you've worked with for years who doesn't know Christ, do you think to yourself, they're accursed. They're cut off from Christ? And perhaps that's the way that Paul and we cultivate great sorrow and unceasing anguish by reminding ourselves, they're cut off from Christ, and I'm not. They're cursed, and I'm not. And Paul's wish here, he knows, is an unrealistic one. He knows it can't happen. But deep in his heart, the pain that he feels over his brothers and sisters who don't know Christ Is so deep. There's times when he says, I just wish I could switch places with them. I wish I could swap places. But we know that chapter 8 even ends. Remember, there's no chapter divide. And look how chapter... It ends in verse 38. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He knew there was nothing he could will that would switch things around and separate him from Christ. And he also knew that all these people in his life that didn't know Jesus, that right now they could not claim, verses 38 and 39, that the opposite is true. That it is sure that death and life, angels and rulers, everything present and to come in every power, all the heights and the depths and everything else in all creation is going to separate them from the love of God. They will be separated from the love of God. And as a result, his heart broke for them. His heart broke. I can remember back, maybe you can too, I can remember times in my life when my heart broke for people who didn't know Christ. I remember it vividly. I remember when I worked as a, a, a with the rescue squad in my town, I had just graduated high school, and I remember coming to the scene of an accident where one of my friends from high school was dead and I had to do CPR on him. And I was crushed because I'm pretty sure he didn't know Christ. And I remember going home and being just so distraught over this friend. I can remember being in high school as a junior and getting converted and and being the crazy one in the school who made sure everybody heard about Christ. (laughs) I remember loving speech class so that I could get up and share the gospel any way I could, sneak it in there through speech. I remember my teacher, my speech teacher, saying to me, you sure you want to do this? And saying, hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. And so I know we go through different seasons of life, times where I think our hearts break more than others. But church, listen, if we just go ahead with our go plan and kick things off for the spring, without asking God to do this in our hearts, I don't think it pleases God. He doesn't want us just to do the right things. He wants our hearts to be in it. He wants our hearts to be engaged. And, and I know we can't do that on our own, but I think we can remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us and where they stand. I think we can remind ourselves that yes, they are accursed, but you and I because of Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that he wants to do the same for them when we can pray that way for them. I pray that we would be able to cultivate in whatever ways through prayer and through his word and through one another hearts that break for people who don't know Jesus. I pray, I was thinking this morning just about how the strong emotions I can have towards people who don't know Christ, the bad strong emotions I can have, whether that's to certain people in government. I see what they do and I hear what they say and I can be strong. I can be angry at them without thinking they're cursed. (laughs) They're cut off from Christ and be broken for them. I can be impatient with people who aren't Christians, frustrated with them, annoyed at them, with real emotions strong emotions. And I had to ask myself, why? Why can't I have emotions like Paul with the same level of intensity where it's true that I feel great sorrow and unceasing anguish for those who don't know Christ? So church, I would love to ask you this week to join me before we talk about go mission plans or steps we should take or changes we should make, and maybe you already are in the middle of those, and I hope you are, with people that we know, just to ask ourselves, do we have God's heart in all of this? I pray that it could be said of us in an increasing way, for me as an increasing way, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. know Jesus, And I pray that the Spirit of God is in all of you. You have that same desire. You want that. And I want to tell you that it's not going to come from Netflix or whatever the things are that draw your heart away. It's not going to happen through those things. I think it's going to happen when we get on our faces and we say, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. Help me love the things you love and hate the things you hate. Help me to feel with deep intensity the things that you feel the way that I should feel them. Help me to see the reality that people are accursed and cut off from Christ and break my heart so that when I go to people, when I have lunch with that person, when I hang out with my neighbor across the fence or in his garage, there's a sense in which I am filled with sorrow and unceasing anguish for them even as I'm sharing and talking with them. I want to pray for us. I want to pray that none of us feel condemnation or guilt falsely, but that we have a desire in our hearts to have Paul's heart. Maybe we can just take a few minutes and we can just pray on our own. Maybe we just pray Romans nine one through three in our hearts and ask God to do that work and then I'll I'll close the I'll close our time. Holy Spirit, we, we need you. We need you to help us. God, we don't want to go through the motions of spending time with neighbors and spending time with coworkers and friends trying to say or do or act the right way. God, we want to do it out of hearts that are broken, out of hearts that are filled with anguish, And of hearts that are filled with deep affections for those that don't know you. And Lord Jesus, we we can't do that. We need you to do that. We need you to do that work in our hearts. God, we want to please you. And we know it pleases you when our hearts are in the place you want our hearts to be. So have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us as a church. Mold our hearts and change our hearts and break our hearts and. Help us to know if there's repenting we need to do so that our hearts are filled more with you so that we'd have your heart. God, I pray you change our hearts so that when we go about our day and we see people, we would see them as accursed and separated from you. And God, that that would motivate us that that would motivate us to want to love them and listen to them and care for them and share with them. There's, there's nothing worse than being accursed and cut off from you, Jesus. And pray that you would help us to rejoice in what you've done for us and then equally grieve for those who don't have what we have. God, may we know how to rejoice And grieve simultaneously. Rejoicing in you and grieving for those who don't know you. And so help us. Help us, help us, help us. We need help. And so Lord, I I pray that this week you would do a deep work in us. You would continue the work you're doing, but you would deepen it. That God, when we see the people we work with, when we see people in Safeway and Walmart and at school, wherever it is we go, that, God, we would have your vision, your eyes and your heart. And that as a result, we would talk to people and listen to people and interact with people in a way that would honor you, in a way that would please you. Lord Jesus, even this week, as we prepare for Easter Sunday, we know that many of our lost friends will go to church on Easter because it's Easter. God, I pray we would invite them. I pray we invite them to come on Sunday, but I pray we would do it out of hearts that are broken, sorrowful, filled with grief. May our hearts line up with the reality of what they will experience without you. May our hearts align with that. So do do your good work in us, I pray. I pray against anyone who feels condemned right now or guilty. Lord Jesus, I know that you never condemn us. You're always kind to us. Even this message this morning, I feel like, is your kindness to us to awaken us to the realities of separation from Christ and being accursed so that our hearts would be more malleable to go and do the things that you call us to do. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as we march forward, you would increase our desire to please you from our hearts and then to and through our actions to so do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.